I'm John. And I'm David. And you're listening to the Autocorrect Podcast. So this is our first episode in the uh, F1 Deep Dive series. Yeah. So the 71st season just concluded at Abu Dhabi. Be sure to check out our final race recap. Yeah, at the end of it was uh, something. Yeah, which uh, we'll actually talk about what happened at the end at some point in this series with the rules and regulations because that has actually brought been brought into question. Yeah. So this first episode is going to be covering kind of the history of Formula One where it started and major events over the years. In future episodes, we're going to be discussing things like the engineering of certain parts of the car, regulations and recent and upcoming changes, teams and drivers, and a few deep dives on tracks themselves. So it it'll be interesting. This is this will be kind of this will definitely be good for people that aren't too familiar or don't know anything about F1 or people that just are interested. Yeah, let's jump right in with the history. Yeah, so Formula One, the roots of it are in 1920s and 1930s European Grand Prix racing. Yeah, early Euro Grand Prix racing is really where Formula One got its roots from. So it became a governed body by the FIA with the first championship in 1950. So the Formula One itself was founded in 1946 by the FIA, which itself was founded in 1904. Correct. But it took four years for the first championship to happen. So, And just a little tidbit, Mike Cawthorn was the first world champion. Yeah, so... As of this year, it's been 71 seasons. 1,057 race starts. 770 different drivers. That's ridiculous. Yeah. 770 different drivers. Actually, rewinding a little bit, 1,057 race starts. How many of those do you think Kimmy has participated in? I know it's, isn't it a record? It is. It's a lot. 353. Yeah. Because he started in when? 2001. 2001. And then yeah. he took a couple years off, but uh, he, he holds the record now. Yeah. So 
So 770 different drivers, 34 different world championships. Sorry. 34 different world champions. Yeah, that's... We've definitely seen some some talent come through. Speaking of talent, the record for most championships won by a single driver is tied between Michael Schumacher and Lewis Hamilton. And that's seven. Yeah, I... That's, uh, that's impressive. Yeah. There have been 13 like major rounds of car revisions and regulation revisions as of this year, over the years. Yeah, we should say that the cars do change slightly from year to year, but what we mean is there have been 13 major technical regulation changes. And stuff like the major changes in aero, you know, recently the addition of the halo, we're talking about... That big, actually big... wasn't a major change, believe it or not. I mean, it kind of is. It, the The halo technically wasn't a major change. Because the chassis of the car didn't change at all. It was just the halo was added. Yeah, but it changes how they, like, how you're actually kind of viewing everything. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But this, these are still considered the the generation of cars that just completed here with 2021 was the 2014 generation of cars. Yeah. Even though the halo was added in 2018. Yeah. And there's going to be some big changes next year. Oh, there are going to be some massive changes next year, which uh, we'll focus on in, I believe, the fourth episode. Sorry, third episode. Yeah, when we talk about different regulations and things like that. So things like revised aero, engine displacement, cylinder count, safety, engine location, those are all things that have gone through. Yeah, over the, the past 71 years, there's been just about every different configuration of engines. There, we've had everything from straight 12s to V10s to now our twin-turbo V6 hybrids. I mean, I, I guess it's argued that a halo isn't a major revision because it's not, a, it's not multiple things, but I'd say in terms of any single change, it is a fairly... Yeah, it is, it is a large change for safety. In terms of those 13, the 13 are like the rounds of changes that have multiple things that change yeah. generation. Yeah. Generationally. So the halo would probably be the, the single largest change since the 2014 yeah. regulation change, apart from now the 2022 regulation change. Right. But obviously... Like I said before, from year to year, the cars change slightly. So there have been a lot of teams over the years. And out of all the current teams, Ferrari is the only original team left from the start. Ferrari is the only original team that has stuck with the sport through the entire Correct. 71 years. Mercedes-Benz was there in the 1950s and they're back now, but they took a leave of absence of around 60 years, so... Yeah, so Ferrari is the only one that has been in it the whole time, which is impressive. They're also the single most successful F1 team, which makes sense. Followed by uh, Williams, which we uh, we had a short piece on Sir Frank Williams a few weeks back when he passed away. Yeah. Uh, be sure to check that out too. So, the current teams are Red Bull Racing, Honda. Red Bull Racing, Honda, they use a Honda engine. Power unit. Power unit, sorry. For those of you that don't know, our current F1 cars are V6 twin-turbo hybrid assist cars. So the power unit manufacturer is not just the engine. It, it's 
the power unit is comprised of the internal combustion engine and then the hybrid recovery system, which is called the MGUK or the MGUH in the case of Mercedes. But the, the entire power unit is made by one manufacturer. This year, there are four different power unit manufacturers, Honda, Mercedes, Ferrari, and Renault. So the current teams are Red Bull Racing, who, who uses a Honda. Yeah, well, the, the team name is Red Bull Racing Honda. Correct. Mercedes AMG Patronus, which is uses a Mercedes power unit. McLaren Racing uses a Mercedes power unit. Scuderia Ferrari, which uses Ferrari. The Haas F1 team uses Ferrari. The Williams Racing uses a Mercedes power unit. <laughs> Aston Martin Cognizant Formula One uses Mercedes. They, they really went all out with their name there. <laughs> yeah, it, and Scuderia Alpha Tauri uses Honda. The Alpine F1 team uses Renault and Alfa Romeo Racing. Orland. Ah. <laughs> you good there? Alfa Romeo Racing Orland uses a Ferrari power unit. Yeah, so Mercedes is by far the, the most widely used power unit. And at least in 2020, it was the most powerful power unit. It, it physically produced the most horsepower. I don't know if that was still the case this year. I know Honda turned up the power on their uh, unit and so did Ferrari. So I'm not sure if they were still the most powerful uh, power unit this year. Yeah. And in, in addition to power units changing and cars and things changing, the, there's a constant improvement to safety equipment and regulations. Oh, absolutely. Now, that being said, it should be noted that there are, most of the safety regulations come with a cost of yeah. prior loss. Around 52 drivers have lost their lives in, in Formula One and have brought the safety regulations to what they are today. I mean, look at a crash like Roman Grosjean's crash last year at Secure. Without, unfortunately, without prior loss, we wouldn't have the safety standards that we have today that saved his life. And... We're gonna we're gonna talk about that and the halo when we talk about our engineering when we get into our engineering episode. I I I think I can pretty confidently say that those fifty two pilots who have lost their life, their lives were not lost in vain. They really paved the way for safety throughout the years in motorsport and Formula One. And that being said, those fifty two, in addition to those fifty two, there were Marshall and attendee deaths also. Yeah. So out of those deaths, I'd say in terms of most impactful, most individually impactful would be Senna and Clark. Yeah. Aaron Senna, unfortunately, uh, suffered a major accident at the 1994 uh, Emilia-Romagna Grand Prix held at Imola. Yep. And then uh, Jim Clark lost his life tragically in a Formula 2 race held in the Hockenheim ring in Hockenheim in 1968. And those were serious. Those were both very serious incidents. Now, after Senna's crash, after Senna's death, it went a little over 20 years, right? Yeah. I believe it was 20 years until there was another fatality. Yeah. Which 
and that that was Jules Bianchi, which he his death was the most recent death in F one. Um, not the most recent death in, in motorsport, unfortunately, but the most recent death in Formula One and possibly uh, the most impactful death in recent times. His his death sped up the development of the Halo. The, yeah. The Halo was already in the works, but after his tragic death, the the development really got kicked into high gear and the Halo was ultimately implemented in 2018. So... And the Halo has already saved many lives in both Formula One and Formula Two. Uh, right now, uh, I do not believe the Halo is used in Formula Three, but in F1 and F2, it has saved numerous lives. Notably, uh, Marcus Erickson in his crash at Monza 2018, Roman Grosjean at his crash last year at Secure 2020, and recently, it saved Lewis Hamilton's life at his crash at Monza this year, 2021. Yep. And so Jules Bianchi, 2015, the the crash was actually at the 2014 Japanese Grand Prix. Yeah, held at Suzuka. And so he did survive the crash barely and nine months of serious intensive care before he passed in 2015. But that was directly... The, the crash was the cause. Yeah. So it was 20 years. Yeah. And I think every time there is a serious regulation overhaul, there's it, there's kind of an improvement. And every yeah. time there's an improvement to the right to safety regulations, it does look like there's more time, either more time or less deaths or both. Right, right now... The, we'll we'll obviously talk more in depth about this when we talk about rules and regulations and how they changed over the years. But the 2022 regulation changes serve two primary purposes. They level the playing field more between the teams, and they increase safety. The by and large, what's happening next year in 2022 is cars are being slowed down and arrow is being decreased. Now. Those may not necessarily sound like good things, but when you start to think about it, the cars right now are too fast. They're, they're pushing 200 miles an hour on the straights, which in something as complex as Formula One leaves the door open for, for accidents all the time. These are the most skilled drivers in the world, but that doesn't mean that they're not human and don't make mistakes. Yeah. Actually, I was listening to one of the episodes of uh, Beyond Victory. Oh, yeah. Yep. Nico Rosberg's podcast. Yep. 2016 Formula One champion. He uh, he said something that I definitely agree with, is that even talking to the engineers, you know, sometimes people forget that they're the drivers are still people in the car. They're not computers. They're not extensions of the calculations. Yeah, exactly. Even with the incredible performance of these people, of these drivers, they're still people. They're not computers. Yeah. Humans still make mistakes no matter what. And often some of the things that happens aren't even mistakes. They're just failure of parts because of the incredible stress. Yeah. So there's been a lot. There, there's a great video uh, by Red Bull. I think it's four or five years old now. 
And it goes through the process of manufacturing just a single bolt. And I think that that's really testament to just the design tolerances that these cars are through. You wouldn't think that they need to manufacture their own bolt because they need to ensure that it is absolutely perfect. You'd think they'd just be able to use an off-the-shelf part, but that's just not perfect enough. With, with the tolerances that they're dealing with, they need to manufacture it themselves to ensure the quality and the tolerance of it. And that's actually, that's definitely a video that's worth watching, even if that kind of stuff isn't, it's just, it's just in general, interesting video. But that's kind of one of those things where it really shines a light on how incredibly precise and how tight the tolerance is and how little room for error there is. And when you're going as fast as Formula One cars go, it's incredible stress. Yeah. And the fact that these the parts can be engineered and can be reliable is impressive. Yeah. Now, I should say, next year when the cars get slowed down, we're not talking about slowing down to a crawl. I think that they're knocking off 20 to 30 kilometers an hour. So these cars are still going upwards of 180 miles an hour. I th- they're not going slow. They're not slow. They're just, it's not going to be, it's slowing down a little bit. Now, one of the interesting things I think is that that is going to affect Mercedes. I think Mercedes is going to... Yeah, well, Mercedes has the single fastest car. Right, and now... which Which is a very interesting statement to make, but in, let's just take a quarter-mile drag race, the Mercedes would be by far the fastest car. Yeah. That's the other thing, too, is... Another thing from Beyond Victory, that one of the big things that you see... The budget matters, but say you have a $100 million budget and you have a $300 million budget, from that $100 million, the performance increase to $300 million that you can squeeze out, the faster you get, the harder it is to squeeze out the performance. So I think, I don't remember who said it, but there was a quote somewhere, and I might even butcher the quote, but the quote was somewhere along the lines of when you get to Formula One, a tenth of a second costs 10 million pounds. Yep. Yeah, it's... 10 million pounds is, what, around $13 million? I think approximately. For a tenth of a second. Yeah, and so that's that's the thing. It's like you look at a somebody like Mercedes, AMG. I think they have like, what, a three... It's like a $300 million budget, isn't it? Some Somewhere ridiculous. around there. It, Ferrari also has an extremely large budget. Yeah, and now these are the top end of the competitive cars. So does Red Bull, but these, like... The difference between the top end of the competitive cars and even the lower end of the competitive cars, time-wise, isn't that much, but it takes so much money to make that little bit of increase to be able to squeeze out and optimize it. Absolutely. And so, I, and you look at the, the difference between a top-performing car like a Mercedes or a Red Bull and the difference between that and, say, a Haas. Yeah. Haas doesn't even have a simulator, let alone this wildly complex strategy computer that Mercedes has. It's still impressive that they're even at the point they're at, to yeah. be honest. I mean, Haas is pretty much entirely funded by Gene Haas himself. They obviously have sponsors, but Gene puts up the bulk of the money himself. And now, something like a simulator is in- incredibly expensive, and at the same time, it's not like they don't have a lot. It just costs so much. Yeah, what I, what I find funny is that... Uh, uh, Mick Schumacher oftentimes borrows the Ferrari simulator. 
Yeah. He, he, they, they let him borrow it or they let him go to Marinello and use their simulator. Yeah. I, I think the interesting thing here is that over the years, there have been vehicle improvements, safety improvements, you know, track improvements, regulation, but yeah, it's I mean, not even just, even just on look the at track. It's not just on the track that the improvements come. It's having the things like the simulator. And when you look at something like Red Bull, where they show the process of making one bolt, that's not like in, that much of an exaggeration. It really, they have to be so precise when you get up. To that. That, so a bolt like that, you could go to any hardware store and buy for around 80 cents. How much do you think that one bolt cost them to manufacture? I don't remember the number, but I... Oh, they didn't, they didn't give a number. I, oh, they didn't? No. Oh, I thought they did. No, they didn't give a number. It's enough. Yeah. Now, I think the... I think the biggest takeaway here, and, you know, we're talking about the difference between 1950 and 2021 and all of the improvements, but... The improvements that come over the years, like I was saying, they're not just on track. They're off track. They're in the development. They're in the practicing. They're in, you know, having a simulator. They're in the tools you have to make the car. All these things add up. And then when you have the regulation changes and the car changes and things, it that's just you're, like you're on track. Something that that's interesting that I think is coming full circle now. Uh, we saw this a lot in the early days of Formula One and the 1950s and the 1960s we saw formula one because obviously times were much different then but formula one was still wildly ahead of its time even in the 1950s the the technology that they used for the cars i mean you look at an alfa romeo 158 which was the 1950 alfa romeo racer that was years ahead of anything else that was available in 1950 yeah but the interesting thing is you look at Lotus did this a lot, but all I think all of the brands really did this in the early days. How much Formula One technology trickled down to the consumer market? Yeah. That didn't happen so much in like the 80s through the early 2000s. Then we saw that sort of passion get reignited with Ferrari and the F430 Scuderia. That that was the beginning of some of the Formula One technology being trickled back down into the consumer market. And now we have the AMG Project One, which is, for all intents and purposes, a road legal Formula One car. Yeah. It is absolutely not a Formula One car. It looks nothing like a Formula One car. But if you strip down the car to the bare technology, it uses the same technology that a Formula One car. I mean, you also look at something like what Aston Martin is doing. Oh, yeah. With the Valkyrie and the Valhalla. Yeah. Which those are impressive cars. Those, those are I do have a soft spot for Aston. As do I. I mean, I the soft spot's kind of for Koenigsegg and Aston, but I have a soft spot for Aston, but... Throwing Pagani for me, too. Yeah, well, Pagani, I think my... Those are my top three. Yeah. But it's kind of, you know... It, it, it's just... I think it was a lot more exaggerated back in, like, the 50s and 60s, but Formula One has always been wildly ahead of its time yeah and i think what's kind of interesting with something like formula one is that when you have something like this where it's these high budget high you know high engineering like like insanely design driven and and the, the other thing things. that i think is very interesting about formula one is the environmental consciousness behind it too yeah 
Formula One is shooting for a net carbon zero emission by 2025, I believe, 2026, maybe it's 2030. In the next 10 years, Formula One will have a net carbon zero emission. Hmm. Think about that. Think about everything that goes into developing the cars. Think about everything that goes into moving the teams from one country to another, weekend to weekend. They're going to be on net zero. It's, yeah. And that, that's not just an empty claim. There's, there's motive behind that. There's, well, there's money, development behind that. There's, there's money, money behind be- it, which is, a, yeah. is the biggest part. You need the money to be able to do it. Absolutely. But there's but, so much money in F1 that yeah, there, there is. I they mean, can it, do it. it. It is the single richest sport. Uh, and it's, you know, it takes a lot to do it and it's not money wasted. It's not money blown on things, I should yeah. say. It's, it's money that is spent with purpose. But I think what's kind of interesting is with F1, you're starting to see some of these manufacturers where the technology trickles down which still is rare, but it's the same kind of concept where, you know, look at how the internet started. Yeah. It's a, you know, it's a high budget like defense project, but it's these things where you have something like this, that they have all the money to throw at it and they can design it. And then once you get that base, you can work off of it. But F1 has been developing for so long. It's nice to see kind of some of the advancements it's not just a spectator sport so to speak yeah it it has a meaningful impact whether or not you're involved in the sport i I don't want to talk badly about any sport but you just don't see that with any other sport you don't see that with football you don't see that with soccer that they are purely just spectator sports yeah other than you know helmet and and ppe standards getting passed down to the consumer market what else gets passed down to the consumer market from that? What, how, if I'm not a, a soccer fan or a football fan, how does it affect me? Right. You don't have to be a Formula One fan to be affected by the technological improvements that you see in your day-to-day life. Everybody uses cars. Whether or not you drive, everybody uses them in some capacity. Yeah. And so, again, that, that's not to speak badly about any of these other spectator sports. They, they absolutely have their place. So uh, I want to talk about for a second, you and I got tickets for the Canadian GP for 2022. Yeah. What are our tickets? We we bought paddock passes through F1 experiences. So that's kind of one of the things that I wanted is like the, you're more, you can be more involved. Yeah, absolutely. Even, you know, even at the events and I, I know a lot of other sports have things where you can get certain passes and things, but F1 kind of has a unique approach to it. Yeah. It's also interesting the parts of F1 that end up in private hands. Like on Monday, we're headed down to actually see an SF71H, which is Ferrari's 2007, yeah, 2017 Challenger. I believe. I don't know. Let me look it up. But it, it's pretty interesting. I think F1 does have a... 2018 challenge. 2018. Yeah. I think they have a very interesting approach to stuff, and I do like... It's more of an open approach. And on top of that, drivers and things kind of like celebrity, but they also act 
a lot of people see celebrities as some crazy out there person. Now, celebrities are people. Yes. <laughs> Actors, all these things. The, every, yes, they're all people. Still. They're just people that have done some, you know, they're actors, whatever. But, you know, F1 drivers, even like team principals, you know, they're all kind of, they're like celebrity, but they seem more grounded. Yeah. They're more... For the most part. For, for the most part. But I'm saying in, in general, in F1, it, they seem much more grounded in involved yeah. rather than being like staying away from what, one of my favorite things. one of my favorite things is uh this had to have been 2017 or 2018 uh kimi raikkonen was showing up to the paddock and he made his driver stop at the entrance and he just got out of the car hopped the fence and walked through the crowd i love that it's such <laughs> he, he just hopped the fence and walked through with the crowd and then you see other other drivers like um, last year, Lando Norris had a competition where kids got to draw his helmet design, and he picked one of them. And some, I think, twelve year old girl drew a design that he got printed on his helmet, and that was his helmet for a race weekend. Yeah, I think it, it's pretty funny. Now, I would like to touch on just Kimi. Yes, Kimi retired this year. He he will be missed in the sport. Hopefully, we still see him around, but I think that's somewhat unlikely. But let me. I mean, this Kimmy has the most like he has the most moments that are like just either wild in yeah. terms of. I think at skill. some point we'll we'll do a quick run through of Kimmy's career. Maybe that'll be a quick talk, or, or we'll, maybe that'll we're just. We're gonna be a talk show. about him in our in our drivers section in our drivers episode for this because he does hold a lot of. He is very accomplished. Oh yeah, absolutely. On top of that, he does a lot of funny stuff. Oh yeah, he, and there's he's... there's so many things. I mean, Kimmy versus the drink is a classic. His never ending battle with the drink is so. Kimmy, where can the car be approved around the lap? Yeah, I like he's he retired and the the livery was uh. What Kimmy will stop uh, bothering you, dear Kimmy. We'll leave you alone now. We'll leave you alone now. Which is, and then Kimmy making the decision to retire his own car in his final race in F one is the most Kimmy thing Kimmy has ever done. It's so funny, but granted, there there was reason for his retirement. He had brake failure. It wasn't like he just pulled the plug on his own brakes. Right, but, but he made the decision to retire the car as opposed to try and fix it. Yeah, it, it's. Very accomplished. He'll be missed, but he had one I, I, hell of an F1 career. I don't think anyone will ever match his energy. No. It's it's funny because he has the skill, but he, he has, you know, the, the personality too. Yeah. So I think that's kind of funny. But one of the things we want to touch on before we close out this episode is the rising popularity of F1 in, in conjunction with things like social media. Yeah. And... In addition to that, Netflix. Yes. So Drive to Survive was a, or is a Netflix series that I believe is in its fourth season now. 2021 will be its fourth season. Yeah. So there's three out, I think, right now. I actually have not watched a single episode of it yet. I'm going to watch it. I haven't gotten it. Yeah. Maybe over the winter break, I'll watch some of it. But I, I have not watched any of it yet. But I've heard very good things about it. The only thing I've heard is that some things are slightly over exaggerated, but it's TV. What are you going to do? Yeah, and I I think the 
but I, I think that has really I think that's really broken down the wall between F1 being an everyday or I think Drive to Survive has broken down the wall between F1 being something that only car people watch to being an everyday sport. So Drive to Survive is I had to I think opened it up more because people Netflix is a streaming service. It's what a lot of people have and it's not actually doesn't have that much car content on it. No, it has it has very little car content on it apart from a handful of documentaries and movies about cars. I think it's Netflix has actually put in a bid for exclusive streaming rights for Formula One. I think that Sky is going to maintain that, but it's interesting that Netflix has expressed interest in that. Yeah, well, the other thing is Drive to Survive got a lot of people into it. Yeah, it it really changed the sport from being something that only people that are interested in it watch to now we see all the other aspects of it besides cars going fast. And I think the other thing is... And now I I think it's more of a household sport, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think what Drive to Survive did is it made it where somebody that isn't necessarily a car person is still interested in it. Yeah. Because that's because there's so much more to it. And that's kind of a similar thing with, you know, social media, YouTube shorts, think TikTok, all these people... I think McLaren does a really good job of... Aston Martin on TikTok does a lot. Aston Martin on TikTok does a lot, but McLaren on YouTube does a lot too. Yeah. And I think that they really take away the stigma of that it's just car content. There's right. so much more to it. There is. And it's kind of funny because even the there is almost like a little bit of drama to it. It's it's very dramatic. I think Netflix over dramatizes it. Yes, but in terms But of, there is a lot of drama to it. I mean that's what some people watch stuff for too. So <laughs> look it's at the not last, just, look at Abu Dhabi. That was all drama. It's not just car people watching the stuff now, but you have things like social media platforms and things like Drive to Survive on Netflix, and it's kind of opening up this sport that has been historically more of a at first you're there watching it, and then maybe you're and then or you're either in person or you're watching it on TV live, but it wasn't really something that unless you were interested in motorsports or whatever you i mean you there were actually a lot of things where it wasn't necessarily just motorsports but unless you were interested in it and or had some exposure to it you weren't going and looking for it yeah now netflix is exposing people to it that wouldn't necessarily have been interested and other social media is kind of exposing a lot of younger generations to it also it, at least here in america you're not going to stumble upon Formula One by accident. Right. It's well, that's that's one of the big things. Due, because a lot of the races are, are held overseas, the time zones are, are kind of screwy. So you're not necessarily going to stumble upon a race just by happenstance. It's going to be mo- more often than not Sunday before 9 a.m. So you, unless you're looking for it, you're not just going to stumble upon that. Right, and I think having these other things allows people that didn't know about it to find it without. I I think you get to be involved in it without, you know, having to, obviously be in. You can watch it. You can even just go watch highlights and things after the fact. You yeah. can be in. Formula One does has a great uh, highlight reel that comes out every Sunday after a race, and I I think it uh, for people that either don't want to watch the full race or miss the race, it's 
great or just want to see like interesting parts like to be honest there's a lot of races where there will be very long sections where not much happens yeah it's just straight up racing and i think there's a lot of people that are interested in it but more just for like the highlights and things and i think having things like drive to survive where they make it interesting for a normal viewer or things like you know shorts youtube shorts and tiktok and instagram they make it an accessible medium for yeah. people that don't want to watch a whole race that want that are kind of have gotten interested in it but don't want to sit and watch a big long race they just want to see the interesting things or they want to see certain teams or certain aspects so i think that's kind of where historically it's starting to really change yeah and i think drive to survive in terms of everything i think drive to survive made the single in terms of between production wise and social media exposure i think the production of drive to survive has made the single biggest impact outside of motorsport people. I think that's really only true here in America. Uh, drive to survive doesn't nearly have. The well, same yeah, I'm, I'm talking about here in the U S yeah, there's, okay, not, there's yeah. very little exposure here. Even kind of Canada too. There's not, yeah. there's not very much F1 exposure here. Yes. Yeah. In other countries. Then I, I agree with that statement yeah. then. Yeah. Outside of the U S I think it's a little bit different, but it's, it's but much here, different. But here in the U.S., I, I would agree with that then. But it's a very large audience here that Yeah, absolutely. Is... I mean, you look at the United States population is 300-some-odd million. Yeah, 380. I, I, don't, I don't remember. It's over 300. Yeah. So. It, yeah, and I'm, yes, I am talking about U.S.-wise. In other countries, it's much different, especially places like Italy, Spain, Germany. England. England. You know, they, there are, that's different. Yeah. But that's kind of the other thing is those places, people that aren't necessarily like car people, I would say, you know what I mean, still get the exposure to it. And it's not just about racing. And that's why there's a lot of people you wouldn't, honestly, you wouldn't kind of expect to be interested in it that are. But in the U.S. here, we and I, I know in Canada and some other places too, there's just not the same amount of exposure. Straying off topic slightly, I think another great analogy was when Top Gear had their star in a reasonably priced car segment. And you found out all these celebrities really did have a passion for motoring that you wouldn't have expected otherwise and that wouldn't have come out otherwise. Yeah. And I think that's, I think Formula One is almost doing the same thing now that that's not happening. Yeah. It's a bit of a stretch, but you can see where my thought process is. I think what's kind of interesting is that as we progress, you know, technologically also, and, you know, when F1 started, you had to be there. Yeah. It, I don't know if it was radio broadcast announcer. I doubt it. But when it started, you had to be in some vicinity to it or maybe get news about it. Yeah, well, I, I think towards the late 60s, it started to be at least radio broadcasted. Right, and then, then you have then it's televised now yeah and i don't remember when that started but you have these advancements and through the years uh, it's been televised since i think the 80s it's been televised for a long time right but it was still 30 years yeah absolutely now. that's what i'm yeah, saying yeah. so but it started in 1958 we're in 2021 and there has been a lot of other changes over you know the history of it in terms of just the accessibility of it and who yeah who gets who is interested in it and who has access to it and i think that's kind of an interesting thing it's it's not just about f1 it's about the people that follow it too and it, it's about the teams that are in it and the 
the engineers and all everybody in the team and the it drivers, looks like, but it looks like the first season to be televised was 1970. Yeah, so it went 20 yeah. years without tele being televised, which that's still, you know, but these are the jumps. And now we have things like Draft to Survive. We have different social media platforms that are recent. That's another jump. Yeah. It's kind of, you know, there's a lot of people. I think people following the sport is as important of the history as the sport being there. Because if the sport doesn't have a following, it's not going to exist. Absolutely. So it's interesting. There's a lot of different angles to look at it from. But as of, you know, this year, there's there's a lot of new ways to be exposed to it. It's kind of nice. But. I think that's going to be it for this episode. Yeah, we uh, really hope that you enjoyed the first part of this series and we're at least looking forward to making the rest of it and we hope you guys enjoy it too. These are pretty inter- It's interesting for us because we're doing a bunch of research to make sure we have all of our stuff straight and hopefully it's interesting for listeners too to kind of either just hear about it or you know, learn about it if they don't know about F1. But this seemed like a good base to start. And expand off of in the future. Yeah. So. So uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed this uh, first episode. And uh, we'll see you in the next one.